I invite you to open with me in God's Word to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19 in just a moment. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. In just a moment, we will read from that passage of Scripture. We're continuing in this series this morning entitled, Be the Church. Be the Church. We've continued to look at different marks of who the church is This morning, we are going to look at a very specific church, and I want to just put this reminder out there before we look into God's Word. No doubt, we look at this picture of who the church was in the book of Acts, and if we're not careful, we try to say, well, this is exactly what the church should look like. Everything they were doing, we should indeed be doing, but we need to be careful about that. Uh, There are certainly some cultural realities going on here in the book of Acts that we can't replicate today. But there are indeed some general principles that we can take from this picture of the church, uh, particularly here in chapters 8 through 12 in the book of Acts. Uh, The charge this morning is this, we are to be a healthy church. Be a healthy church. And I think this has been implied all along, building up to this particular passage of Scripture. And as we... We're putting this series of sermons together and and looking at maybe the the passage of Scripture that was going to anchor everything we were talking about. Um, This passage this morning is what the Lord led us to. This was the passage of Scripture that really serves to to unify this entire theme of what it means to be the church, particularly what it means to be a healthy church. I want to ask you a question this morning just for illustration. Have you ever sat down for a job interview? What about a job review? Those are two very different things, right? A job interview, you have in mind who you are as a person. You're, you're confident, hopefully. You're, you're looking to get this job based on your qualities and your traits and your characteristics. But after you've been in a job for a while, you have a review process. Maybe you're sitting here, some of you are grinning at me. You've had a very uncomfortable review process, perhaps. It's not always been good. But you sit down in front of this employer and and you walk through everything you're doing well and maybe also everything you're not doing so well. Uh, For most companies I've worked for, this process, I had the privilege of knowing that it was coming. Uh, Maybe even a year out, they would say, hey, a year from now, we're going to sit down and talk about these things, these four or five things that you're expected to do, and you're going to answer for these things. And so all throughout the year, what what did I do? I I endeavored to make sure I fulfilled those requirements. If nothing else, I was doing this. I was getting these things right. We translate this practice of appraisal into many other areas of our life. Uh, we, We endeavor to have healthy bank accounts, healthy bodies, and even healthy relationships. We appraise these things in our lives constantly. But when we talk about church health, we all kind of shy away from that. It's an uncomfortable conversation, and unfortunately, it's a conversation we don't have often enough. We find it uncomfortable to measure the success of a church and what we're endeavoring to do. Well, here's what I'm inviting us to do this morning. I want us to look at this biblical picture of what a church should be. I want us to sit down for a minute at the feet of Jesus and say, all right, Lord, what are we doing right and, and we're going to look at a few areas of church health, some things that are non-negotiable, some things that we have to be doing well. We have to get these things right. And all of it is going to fall along this general principle. Healthy churches are faithful and fruitful. Healthy churches are faithful 
and they are always fruitful. Healthy churches are not stagnant. Healthy churches do not die. They are faithful and they are fruitful. To walk through this review process, we're going to take a look at a healthy church here in Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch. The description of what was going on in this particular church, it serves as a model and a blueprint for what a healthy church should be. And what's remarkable about the church at Antioch is this little church serves as the hinge point for the whole mission of God to the ends of the earth before missionaries like Paul and Barnabas are deployed. This church was situated in the capital of what is known as Syria, a place that served as the home base for the Roman military. The city was also known as the capital of pluralism, religious pluralism, and the worship of idols. It was a cultural melting pot because it was on a significant trade route, as a matter of fact. But what happened in this city through this particular church is remarkable. In spite of all of these challenges around them, in spite of blatant religious pluralism, in spite of blatant abandonment of who the one true God is, they were incredibly faithful and fruitful. So with that in mind, let's look to the Council of Scripture this morning at this picture of the church at Antioch. If you'll stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except... Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and they began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus, at Tarsus and to reach for Saul. And, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and they taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus, he stood up and predicted by the Holy Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this and sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you bless the reading and the proclamation of your word. I pray that you will make it clear. I pray that you will challenge us. I pray that we will be encouraged and we will be pushed towards what it means to be a healthy church. God, let your word and nothing else take root in our lives. Use your word to shape us into who you desire for us to be. Call people to yourself and deploy us as your church. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. And this morning we're going to hone in on the two issues of faithfulness 
and fruitfulness. Faithfulness and fruitfulness. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a few areas of church health this morning in the church at Antioch. And we're going to see how they were faithful regarding these things. But then also, as we come to the close of every one of those marks of church health, we're going to see how God was faithful in bringing fruitfulness to that church. With that in mind, look at this first point with me. Beginning in verses 19 through 21, we see this. Healthy churches are faithful and fruitful in winning souls. Healthy churches are faithful and fruitful in winning souls, in the activity of evangelism. Look with me again at verses 19 through 21. We see here first that those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, they've made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Notice this. We must share the gospel in all circumstances. We've got to share the gospel in all circumstances. If we are going to be healthy churches who are faithful and fruitful in winning souls, we have to share the gospel in all circumstances. Luke, the writer in Acts, he, he flashes back to what was going on at the beginning of chapter 8. You'll remember this. The church we find there was scattered because of persecution, particularly the persecution of Stephen. And so we get this detail that the church was, when it was in a very uncomfortable predicament. But even though they were in the midst of persecution and things were difficult and there was great hardship, they continued to be faithful in preaching the word. Church, difficult circumstances are not a valid excuse for abandoning the mission of God. It doesn't matter what the circumstances in our world might be. It doesn't matter what difficult circumstance we as a church may walk through. That is never an excuse to abandon the mandate of the mission of God. This church was faithful. These men that went to Antioch proclaiming the word of God, they were indeed faithful. But an important transition begins to happen as we make our way into verse 20. Notice this. We must share the gospel across cultural boundaries. We must share the gospel across cultural boundaries. Notice what it says here. It says, There were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and they began speaking to the Greeks. This was significant. Now, I don't want to kick this around any more than we've already kicked it around, but understand something. The gospel going to the Gentiles was a big deal. This was evidence of the mission of God going to the ends of the earth. God in keeping with his love for the nations. He was pushing the church outward and onward through activity just like this. Now, before we look at this last truth concerning this evangelistic activity, I want you to notice something very interesting in verse 20. Look at it again. It says that there were some of them, some of them, completely anonymous and unnamed people who were about this very activity. I know we've said this a couple of times, but God calls ordinary people to an extraordinary task. People just like you and me, ordinary people, anonymous people in the small city of Cave Spring, Georgia. He calls us to an extraordinary mission to the nations. So how was this happening? 
Because at this point, you may be saying, well, pastor, that's great. It's good for you. Maybe it's good for a few of the church leaders. That's wonderful, but that's just not for me. I want you to see what God is doing as we look in verse 21. Notice there, it says, the Lord's hand was with them. And so we see this last truth about our evangelistic activity. We must share the gospel with the Lord's strength. We must share the gospel with the Lord's strength. The Lord's hand was indeed with them. This is an important turn of phrase that Luke uses here. Throughout Scripture, the Lord's hand is used to describe his strength and his presence and his blessing on activity. We see that his strength is displayed in his love in Psalm 136, verses 12 and 13. With a mighty hand, we read, and an outstretched arm, his, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. We also see his strength through his hand in creation. In Job chapter 12 and verse 10, we read this, In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. But then there's this sweet reminder from John's gospel in chapter 10 and verse 29 that we will never be plucked from his hand. He says here, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Friends, this hand was on the church's activity. The very hand of God was with them. Every gospel proclamation that came from their lips, God was with them. The same hand that gave life in Eden, the same hand that parted the Red Sea for the Israelites, the same hand that defeated Israel's enemies, the same hand that will one day raise you and I to eternal life with him in eternity. That same hand of God was with them as they proclaimed the gospel. Notice what God does in verse 21. We read here, after we see that the Lord's hand is with them, a large number who believed turned to the Lord. I think it is interesting that over and over again we see this happening in the life of the church. We see large numbers of people turning to Christ because of the proclamation of the word. How easily satisfied we are with few coming to Christ. How easily satisfied we are with small movements in the world that we live in. Healthy churches are soul-winning churches. When a church is healthy, people get saved. When a church is healthy, People are baptized into the family of God. I'm really laying myself out here and laying myself bare with you for just a moment. As your pastor, I take very seriously accountability. I take seriously accountability regarding how I'm doing as your pastor. If people are not getting saved, I want you to stop me at the door one day. I want you to say, Pastor, what's going on? Now, again, job performance is a big deal. I'm not talking about, hey, your preaching wasn't real good, okay? Or your sermon might have been too long, or maybe you need a better haircut or something like that. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is if people are not coming to Jesus, 
My, my wife's offended because she cuts my hair. I'm sorry. She was staring me down, y'all. I'm talking about the, the issue of if, if as your pastor, I'm not intentionally leading us to be a soul-winning church, there is a problem. If this baptistry is not filled on a regular basis, there is a problem. I say that with no shame. Again, I'm really putting myself out there. It's serious. If people are not coming to Jesus, we are not a healthy church. People must be getting saved. And this is a non-negotiable. But we're not left with just that. Healthy churches are not just soul-winning churches. Notice this second mark of a healthy church. Healthy churches are faithful and they are fruitful in making disciples. They're faithful and they are fruitful in making disciples. I love what happens in verses 22 down through verse 26. Look with me at verse 22. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem. How awesome is that? News about what was happening in Antioch, it came all the way to Jerusalem. This was a noticeable activity. People had taken note of this incredible movement of God and they were telling everyone about it. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have social media to tell everybody about it. This was word traveling person to person all the way to Jerusalem saying, hey, something's going on down in Antioch. So notice what happens. It says that they sent out Barnabas as far as Antioch. They sent someone down there to check out what was going on. Now, this activity we find here should not be new to us. We have seen the church checking out the work of God in other places. You may remember in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, the church sends some people down to check out what's going on among the Samaritans. Right? They were a little bit skeptical, perhaps. And they said, hey, something's going on down there. We want to kind of put our stamp on what's happening and do a little quality control. We also saw this last week in the first 18 verses of chapter 11. We saw how God was doing an incredible work and Cornelius and his whole family had come to Christ and God was doing a great work among the Greek-speaking people. And as a result, in the first 18 verses there, they are debating with Peter, hey man, what's going on among the Gentiles? Again, they're concerned. Here's what we need to infer. But by now, from all of this that's taking place, every time the church is sending these people to check out what God is doing. Here's the truth. Discipleship is a messy business. Making disciples is a messy business. Have you ever baked a cake? Anybody ever baked a cake before? I don't bake cakes. Not in my area of expertise. But if you have, you may be reminded that it is indeed a messy activity. You got all the ingredients out there and, and they're on the counter and, and maybe you forget to uh, maybe lock the blender down when you turn it on and then flour goes everywhere. You've seen this happen before. It's a messy activity. A lot is going on. But what it doesn't take away from is this. It is indeed a beautiful product. If done right, there's this huge mess in the kitchen. Dishes are scattered everywhere. Flowers all over the walls. And this beautiful cake is produced discipleship's a lot like that it's messy it can be sometimes a little bit chaotic there's not always a cookie cutter approach to every person when you're seeking to make them more into the image of jesus and and god is leading you to teach them and bring them along 
but indeed it is a beautiful, beautiful process. In spite of the messiness that comes with making disciples, I want you to see what the church does in response to what's happening in Antioch. They send down Barnabas, and we see this about making disciples. We must be encouragers to make disciples. We must be encouragers to make disciples. When someone is brand new to the faith, they need to hear over and over again, like a broken record, words of affirmation concerning their new walk with Jesus. They need to be told, hey, you might have fallen, you might have messed up there, but hey, get back up. Keep walking with Jesus. Hey, you might have missed, you know, reading the Bible all of last week, but hey, I'm going to read to you. Let's read together. Let's get back in the Word together. Hey, you might have slipped and fallen into sin, but guess what? There is grace upon grace for that. Come back to Jesus. Continue to follow Him. We see Barnabas, this encourager, going down to Antioch, illustrating so well what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. A disciple maker is an encourager. Now, don't forget that Barnabas, he had left Jerusalem and he was in a strange place. He was in a strange culture with strange customs and ideas. But he was able to be an encourager. Why? Because he knew that God was doing a very significant work at Antioch. Notice what we also find to be true about this guy Barnabas as we look at verse 24. Such a subtle phrase here, but it's packed with so much meaning. It says there, for he was a good man. He was a good man. And so we find this to be true about disciple makers. We must be of good character to make disciples. We've got to be of good character to make disciples disciples this is the only time this is so significant this is the only time in the entire book of acts where someone is called good not paul not peter not any of the other church leaders not philip no one is indeed called very specifically good but barnabas is he's said that he is a good man it says he's full of the holy spirit and of faith it is clear that Barnabas was all about putting the work of God on display in the life that he was living. He indeed understood and took seriously what Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 35 where Jesus says this, They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. There is nothing that discourages the work of God in a church more than people not living like Jesus. We can preach and we can teach until we're blue in the face. But we must live lives in keeping with the gospel we proclaim. It only works that way. And Barnabas knew this. He was an encourager. He was of good character. It was clear that Barnabas had credibility with the Antioch church because he lived out exactly what he was teaching them. We must strive to this same standard of living. A life that is consistent with the faith that we proclaim. As people surrender their lives to Jesus, church, we will need all the more some good people who are intentional disciple makers. Some people who are endeavoring to live a life that is worthy of what they are teaching and preaching. Good people 
who are encouragers and are disciple makers. But notice what we find in these next couple of verses. We find this third truth about disciple making. We must work together to make disciples. We have to work together to make disciples. I think there's such a beautiful picture as we get to verse 25. Notice what it says there. It says, then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. This is a big deal for Barnabas. Now, Barnabas had a hearing. People were listening to him. They respected him. He was teaching them. It says there at the end of verse 24, it says, large numbers of people were added to the Lord. There was indeed fruitfulness as Barnabas was there teaching and preaching. But what a selfless picture. When Barnabas could have been exalted in the church at Antioch, he could have been the, the father or the leader of that church, so to speak. And instead, what does he do? He says, hey, this is too big for me alone. And so he goes and he gets Saul. Maybe he had heard a little bit about Saul, how he was a good teacher, how he knew the scriptures and this incredible testimony he had to share with others. And so he goes and he gets Saul. I believe it's very clear from these verses that we need everyone on board with making disciples. There is a recognition that Barnabas has of Saul's giftedness. And he says, hey, you have something to bring to the table that I might not have. And so he goes and gets him. And God continues to do an incredible work in Antioch because of this selfless, humble activity. If disciple making only requires the effort of one or two people, then how effective have we been with soul winning? If it is an easy activity or an easy undertaking for just a couple of people to be intentional disciple makers in our church, then I would say the baptistry has been dry for quite some time. You know, I was yes, last night we uh, I picked up dinner for us at Zorba's over over in Cedartown, and and Cherie called it in, and she told me before I left the house, she said, "Hey, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you something. It sounded like absolute madness at that place." I don't know what you're going to walk into when you get there. And I was just trusting the food was going to be great and well worth the endeavor, okay? So I, I waited a while because I knew it might take a while to, to get everything together over there, and I left. Well, I get there, and I had to wait for a little while for things to be prepared. But I stood there, and I watched what was going on. And it illustrated so well what's going on here in Antioch because I looked around, and it was madness, there were people running around everywhere. Dishes were flying. Food was coming out of the kitchen at an incredible rate. It was insane. All, all but my food, of course. But we finally got there. But we're, I'm standing there watching it, and I looked at their faces. In the middle of all of this chaos, the, the manager comes up with a big smile on his face. They were busy. But as business owners, guess what? They were thrilled because that meant the business was healthy. It might have been messy, it might have been chaotic, but that meant, hey, there were things happening. Money was being made. Church, listen. If we are struggling to keep our, our head above water in making disciples, that is a good thing. That means that the messy business of making disciples is happening in the life of our church. And as chaotic and crazy as that might be, I'm going to have a big smile on my face the whole time. And so should you. Let's be about the business of making disciples, no matter how messy it might be. But notice what happens at the end of verse 26. Only three times in all of Scripture is the word Christian used to, decide, to describe those in the church. Notice what happens. It says the disciples 
were first called Christians in Antioch. Every time we find this word to describe what's happening in the lives of the people in the church, it is given to them by outsiders. People were taking note of what God was doing in the life of this church. It was a big deal to everyone looking on. So big, in fact, they had to invent a word to describe what was happening. And so I ask you, when people look at our church, they see what God is doing here. What do they have to say about it? What do people outside of these walls say about the people inside this room right now? For the people at Antioch, they had no other way to describe them but people who were Christians. God was blessing the work. Great numbers of people were being saved. It's a healthy church that they're a soul-winning church. Healthy churches are faithful and they are fruitful in disciple-making. But notice this last truth. Healthy churches are faithful and they are fruitful in meeting needs. They're faithful and they're fruitful in meeting needs. Notice with me as we get to verse 27, this description of what's going on at Antioch. It says, in those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So again, this is the Jerusalem church, right? This is the mother church, so to speak, continuing, I think, to come down and check out what's happening. It's a big deal. But they come down and they say in verse 28, he says, one of them named Agabus, he stood up and he predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place, we are told, during the reign of Claudius. Verse 29. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. And so these prophets come down and they begin to tell them, hey, this, this bad thing's about to happen. There's about to be this famine in the land. This happened regularly in the Roman world at this time. Anytime that the Nile would flood its banks, everything, all of the grain would be washed away and the price of all these things would skyrocket. It's basic economics, right? And so this prophet predicted this flood would happen. And again, over and over again, we see in the first century testimony of this actually happening. And so he tells the church, hey, you need to step up and do something to meet this need. It, th th this is going to happen. And so we see this. As we are healthy churches and we are seeking to meet needs, notice this. We must trust the Lord's direction as we meet needs. We must trust his direction as we meet needs. It is an expect expectation of God that we are intentionally meeting the needs of those around us. God clearly used this prophet to direct the church's activity and their mission in this community. And as we see, they took God at his word. God said, you need to do this, and so they did it. Which leads to the real point of emphasis here. Look at verse 29. It says there that they determined they determined to give. They determined to pool their resources. And so we see this. We must be determined to maintain an outward focus. It is so easy for good, healthy churches to be doing really well, winning souls, making disciples. It, it's, it, maybe there's these marks of fruitfulness in the life of the church. And in the blink of an eye, an inward focus develops. Suddenly we're more about what's happening inside this building than we are about sharing the gospel outside of this building. It takes great determination to maintain this outward 
focus. That wording is so intentional here. Listen, we, we just came through this season. I say came through like it's past tense. It's still going on. This season of coronavirus. God's been so good to our church. God has sustained the ministry here in ways that I have not seen anywhere else. It's incredible. Every pastor I talk to, I'm kind of ashamed because they share with me stories of how they're struggling. Their church is hurting. It's difficult. Maybe they're at 40% of the attendance they were pre-coronavirus. This is a reality in most of the church. And I'm so astounded. And I say kind of quietly, God's doing some good stuff at Cape Spring. It's been incredible to see what God is doing. But here's what we have to be careful about. We have to determine in our hearts to always have an outward focus. You say, well, well, Pastor, we've been doing this food drive. That's, we, we've been doing it. We did it. Look, we did it for a few months. It's great. And guess what? We've got to go hand that out. We've got to go meet people. We've got to go talk to people. We've got to do the messy business of being in the community, meeting these needs. I'm going to tell you something. We're not going to do a day where people come to this church to receive these things. We are intentionally going to intersect with their life for the purpose of eventually proclaiming the gospel into their life. That takes relationships. Some of y'all said, whoa, not for me. Remember what we just said. The hand of God was on everything that they did as a church. The hand of God was with them as they went into their community. The hand of God was with them as they proclaimed the gospel. And as a result, they were a healthy church. God blessed everything that was happening. They responded in obedience to these very simple marks of a healthy church, and God blessed it. Mark Dever, a, a, a good, he's a great pastor. He wrote a great book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And he says in the introduction of that book, he says this, Certainly, no church is perfect. But thank God, many imperfect churches are healthy. No church is perfect. But praise be to God that even the imperfect churches, churches just like ours, we can be healthy. As we endeavor to be the church that God has called us to be, we will most certainly never be a perfect church. We will never live up to that standard. We will always be a church directed by the Holy Spirit of God, full of people who were once broken but now redeemed, seeking eternity with the Father. But I ask you, will we be a healthy church still the same? Healthy churches, they are faithful and they are fruitful. They are faithful and they are fruitful in winning souls, in making disciples, and meeting needs. May God help us to be such a church. This message this morning was very clearly to those that are here in this room this morning who are within the family of God, who, who kind of put their stake in the ground and said, I am a Christian. I am one of those people that's described only three times in the book of Acts, or in the whole New Testament rather, as Christian. I'm one of those but maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, hey, I haven't put that stake in the ground. I haven't made that decision to follow Jesus. I said very early on in this message that a mark of a healthy church is a soul-winning church. So know that every single Sunday when we preach the word of God, it is to that end. 
And so before we're done, I want to invite you to know Jesus as your Savior. I want to invite you to surrender your life to the pursuit of the King. I want you to know Him as the Lord of your life. If you have questions about what that looks like and how that happens, I, I, I want you to call me. I want you to talk to me after the service. I want to sit down and have a conversation about how you can give your life to Jesus.